This evening's Dharma talk, uh, the Dharma talk said, you know, it's just, well, I'm always talking about the same thing anyway, so I don't think it changes this. Isn't that funny? <laughs> There's only so many things you can say. It always seems to rotate around uh, some kind of uh, understanding of identity. And usually there's not much of an understanding of identity. There's an imputation that, well, of course, I like this, I don't like that, I'm for this, I'm not for that. And then that's the powerful way of a strong way of asserting the identity. And then the other way is a little bit more receptive. It's me, me, me and my feelings, how, you know, what about me, kind of thing. So uh, the title is uh, uh, Who Knows? You can, you can say who feels, who smells, who tastes, who, who thinks. Any kind of questioning of this. This is a traditional uh, teaching that comes out of uh, ancient India. Uh, the, the, sage, the great sage of the last century, uh, Ramana Maharshi, who was a spontaneous realizer, realizer who, when he was very young, about 18, just came home from playing football and fell down on the floor and basically died to his uh, personal self. Those of you who have read that story. I don't know what exactly happens in the story. but uh, And from then, instead of just getting up and starting to teach or proclaim himself or something like that, he went to Turbanamalai, he went into a, a cave there and stayed there for 20 years. And, and um, you could say uh, worked on his understanding so that it became more grounded. In other words, he grew up. So one of the practices that he would give and probably might have been given to him by someone else. And it's not particularly um, his creation, but it's called Atma Vichara. Atma means the self and Vichara means to look into. So self-inquiry, uh, that's not particularly a Buddhist teaching, but I think it's uh, it's helpful. That's something uh, that you could always say anytime you're having any kind of a me feeling, you could say, who is that? You could actually turn do something it's not so easy to do. It seems to take a lot of sitting down and watching what the mind does over and over before you can find out that particular, what is it, dynamic or that particular understanding of awareness so you can turn it around. Because it's very easy to think that you're doing something. Thinking is a, which is in the service of the self-centeredness or ego is very adept at keeping you in the dark as far as your true nature. Uh, in this tradition, we would call it your awakened nature or Buddha nature. Not necessarily about the teachings of the Buddha so much. It's just about wake up, find out who you are. Don't accept anyone's idea, including mine, for who you are, your identity. Don't even accept your own or believe in your own thought patterns about anything. And also don't reject them. And the, the third, which you've heard me say, if you've listened to me very much, also don't ignore anything. That's a, that's, that's a lot. That's called uh, awareness practice. Sit down, hold still, watch what moves, and you'll notice how you grasp some things, you reject other things, and you ignore other things. The awareness of doing that needs to show up first before you can understand where those kind of activities, the aggression, the passion, and the ignorance get their fuel. It's the fuel lines, not the activity itself. Quite often we go to war, we, we try to stop being jealous. Don't do that. If you're jealous, be genuine. Be jealous. Be jealous, but don't necessarily take your awareness away from that. Watch. Be a, be a student of your mind. Uh, who's jealous? 
who, who, who would go to the identity part of it? And you might not find anything. You might not find an identity. You might not find a, a particular person or individual or a description. You might feel kind of lost. Not so bad. That's why it seems to be necessary to have a teaching person help you because otherwise when we go in and we start finding nothing but an empty woods with just nothing but trees and lots of shadows and no discoveries, no knowledge, no wisdom, no, 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 nothing there, then we want to turn away from that. And the teaching person will say, no, keep looking, keep going. In our tradition, sit down, hold still, face the wall, watch what moves and do it, make a commitment to it. I mean, maybe you can make a commitment a year at a time. You don't have to sit there the whole year. You can get up and take a break. So, uh, but some kind of uh, insistent uh, wish to see the truth yourself. No one can awaken or see or become uh, aware um, for you. Uh, on the other hand, uh, we have the, the model of the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, the three jewels. The Buddha is the one who no longer was at war with anything, to put it bluntly or simply, or and also was not uh, um, was not crazy and not objecting and going this way and fighting with this or trying to control their students. And the uh, Dharma is the truth that he taught that everything is dependently risen, that there's no solid pers personality or uh, it's there, but it's unreal and it won't last. It comes apart. And it is supported by uh, opinions, ideas, judgments, not only yours or mine, or, but everything. A society has us in a, an incredible box of identity uh, that has us doing everything from following some kind of uh, protocol, not respecting people individually. In other words, saying, well, you got to get an education. No, you don't. That would be like me, me saying to you, you've got to meditate. No, you don't. You don't have to do anything. This doesn't mean that you go the other way and say, well, I can do anything I want. And we're going to the, a different kind of uh, rabbit hole of confusion and self uh, uh, fluffing up the identity, uh, which is a fancy way of talking about ego or self-centeredness. So it seems to be necessary for us to see very clearly and, and very uh, uh, closely the way in which we keep adding to our confusion because we don't really want to see that. We want um, we don't want we want to blame a circumstance or a, or a, some kind of quality that's arising over here in our family, our country, our city, our job, our workplace, our coworkers, our boss, and so on. We want to blame. At attribute our feeling to something else. It's your feeling. No one is dumping a bucket of feelings into you, no matter no matter what they do to you. I'm not saying that what they do doesn't trigger that, but it's your emotion. It's not easy. It's not easy to, to have the emotion come up and not have the attendant idea of somebody needs to have some justice here. Somebody needs to pay for this kind of thing that we often do. And in that situation, I would say, again, don't try to be somebody else, somebody who doesn't do that. Actually have a willingness to just meet whatever's happening in the mind, just meet it where it's at. Don't add to it, which makes it change. 
Don't subtract from it, which makes it change more. And don't look away, which makes it become more invisible. Just observe. And how does it feel to do that? Like you don't know what you're looking at. So this is why the ego mind, if it starts to see something that it's confused about, it will opt for the thinking process, the analytical process, which we've been taught in our culture. Well, you got to figure this out. No, you don't. Don't figure anything out. Please stop that. Don't figure it out. What could you do with it? You could just look at it. The fancy word for that is patience. But patience is not something you do. It's something you are. Just, just be with whatever, whatever is happening. Don't jump ahead to some kind of plan about getting rid of it or making it go away or, or uh, finding out, you know, who's poking, who is poking you with a stick or whatever. It's not that somebody isn't doing that. It isn't that somebody isn't doing something that's uh, really upsetting or, or causing you distress. That probably is happening. But the dependent origination, the fundamental understanding under that is there's no one person that is to blame. Or anything, just like there's no one person that gets credit for everything. If you're born with a, a beautiful voice, which some people are, you don't get credit for that. Just like if you're born uh, as as I was born with not being able to sing at all, I don't get blamed for that. It's not my fault. What I'm trying to say is the polarity that's real easy to go this way or go that way because the ego, the self-centered mind, the narcissistic mind wants to know. It wants to, does not like to be out of control because when it's not, when it's out of the, when it's out of control, then uh, what starts to show up is the, the ego, what starts to show up is the truth. The ego is not real. It is discontinuous. Your identity does not have a, a ground to stand on. So it invents stuff, ideas, opinions, beliefs. If you meet someone, I'm sure when this room is like that, but if you meet someone that it's really hard to have a conversation because all you get is their opinions and beliefs and they think they're having a conversation, uh, but, but they're not, they're just, they're just protecting themselves. They're fearful not to accuse anybody of anything, but they're fearful. So they don't know what to do. So they just make up stuff or buy into this or, or hold on to this opinion or that one. And it's not that the opinion might, might, it might have a lot of truth in it. I mean, you might say, well, you need to, you need to work for a living. You know, should, uh, socialism is this or that. I'm not getting in any polit political stuff. And you won't even be able to tell what I believe in. Why? I don't really believe in much. Belief is extra. If something is here, sound. You don't have to believe that. Sound. Uh, if Fire burns, the carpeting is solid, uh, wind moves, to use a common, you know, it don't, but when something starts to get vague, let it be vague. You don't have to come to a conclusion about anything. The world is coming to conclusions all the time. The weather comes to a conclusion and it rains. The conclusions are dependently risen. And even they call people meteorologists to, for a fancy, but they don't know what's going to happen next. Meteorologist is another name for somebody who guesses, would you say? And quite often they're incorrect, but then they'll tell you why they're, they'll sound, sound very, and I'm not, it's not that I don't listen to the weather report, of course I do. But, but nothing is, uh, what's the, what's the, the metaphor we often use is nothing is carved in granite. Everything is flowing this way and that way all the time. 
sometimes if we can if we can stabilize ourselves with an idea, opinion, a belief, don't need beliefs. I mean, you may feel like you do. I don't believe in this. You don't have to believe in Buddhism. Buddhism is not uh, something you believe in. If you believe in it, then you've misunderstood what this teaching is about. Any questions so far? Any answers so far? No. Go ahead. That's me. Listen, I sometimes think I know what you mean when you say know yourself or get to know yourself. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure that I do. So I'm just wondering if you can expand. That's on it. it. You don't know who you are, do you? No, I don't. That's why we're friends. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who this is. I don't have, there's no there's no kind of identity. I mean, I use a, the index Sokazan because it's much my my uh, given name is a uh, is Bob Brown. Should I start using that? that <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it, could, it could be Jules Verne. It could be a uh, French Atone. It could be a uh, Frank Sinatra. Then you really see how well I can sing. But it's, you know, I use Sokazan because that's my the name I was given as a, a practitioner of the Dharma, as a monk. So I use that to have some kind of a reference point, just like when when we, uh, when somebody receives the, excuse me, receives the precepts, uh, either lay precepts or uh, to be fully ordained, give them a name. So they have a, a reference point for the change uh, in Buddhism. There's the two two marks: the change of uh, the change of your attitude. You're no longer at war with anything, and the change of name. You have a different identity reference. So Kozan, Union, several people here. Isan, Joy for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's, it doesn't mean that there's something special going on. It's just a different way of working with your identity. And it, and it may be somewhat of a support or may not feel that. But it's just another way of using uh, thought process and, uh, to, uh, to help us see what is fundamentally true. And what is fundamentally true, there is no solid knower. There's no, there's no, it's, we're not saying there isn't some kind of knowing or understanding, but it's not, it is not congealed into a self that needs protecting, into a someone who needs advancing. Uh, it's called a fancy way of talking about this is that you live in an open dimension of being. All the polarities uh, no longer show up in one way. If pain shows up, pleasure shows up. Not to. If uh, death shows up, life shows up. Can't you can't separate those? There, there can't have life without death. You can't have awakening or Buddha nature without confusion, and those two are not separate. That's pretty challenging. Just like saying life and death are not separate. They're not. You're alive and then you die. It's not. Isn't that the end of life? Not necessarily. Questions about that are good. If you have. You talk about no self, and if there is no self, what what is the benefit of seeing that? Seeing that there's no self, uh, because that's the beginning of, of understanding suffering. Seeing there's no one who the suffering has its own dynamic; it doesn't need a self to experience it. As the Buddha said, one of the first words out of the Buddha's mouth, as far as we know, or to 
connect with the teachings is life is suffering. Life is dissatisfaction intensely. We're not saying that there aren't times when you feel good and that feel better. It's not as negative as sometimes people say. It's just true. We have nerve endings. There's going to be difficulty. So if you see that there's no solid being, there's no that the, the identity is not what you thought it was. Somebody that needs to run away from one thing and run to something else. I don't like that, but I like that and operate in terms of the three poisons or in terms of pain and pleasure. And you begin to transcend that. And transcend means to go beyond it without leaving it. Or How can you go beyond it without leaving it? That's the only way you can do it. It's the only way you can do it. If otherwise, it's right back to the polarity of good and bad. I left it. Now it's behind me. That's why the spiritual path is uh, the title of the book that you study here is Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism. Spiritual materialism is using a spiritual path practice to get somewhere, to have a gaining idea and to advance, and become more and more whatever, peaceful or kind or compassionate. It's not that there isn't something like that going on, but first you have to you have to actually see what is actually uh, happening, because otherwise it's just a it's something you build up. Anything that is compounded or comes together or gets better, it's coming apart. More. So how can you see what's happening? Look at it. More. Look at what? The wall. You have to start somewhere. So we start with, keep it as simple as possible. Uh, like at the Petoskey today, I, was, I think I was talking about, uh, it's like an elimination diet for ego. You know, ego gets this, I want this, I don't want that. I'm talking to this person about that. Then I go do this, then I go do that. I'm to go to work. Uh, um, and just on and on with all kinds of uh, things in our life that we're flooded with that cause us to impute that there's some kind of person that's active and doing things and not doing other things and succeeding at some things and failing. And sure, it's happening. That's happening all the time. But what happens is we start to buy into that and we think there's actually a solid being who can win or fail. And that's not that there isn't relatively, yes, but who you actually are is way beyond that polarity. In order to see that, it seems to be necessary to sit still, to eliminate all the activity so you're just present. Body, mind are not two different things. They show up differently, but no, not uh, not much differently than this hand and that hand. Two different things, but they're the same. They're hands. So that might be a little extreme, but it's probably closer than saying um, other stuff. Help me here. Those are good questions. Is there assignment? Help your teacher. Yes, Gary. When you look, how do you know if you truly understand what you're seeing? The kind of understanding we're talking here is not about information, like sitting down and understanding a, a program or understanding how to use an app on your phone or how to connect and how to figure something out, or how to do your taxes. It's not this kind of understanding. It's called, it's why it's called wisdom, because it's not about information. It's about a deep understanding of the, one of the basic teachings of Buddhism. Buddhism is dependent origination. There's no separate thing anywhere. They're separated. This is called the world. Everything is just showing up with different colors and, and different smells, taste, touch. They're all over the place, different body forms and so on. 
But when you see what this is, when you have this kind of what's called transcendental knowledge, then you don't see separate things. You just see wisdom. Wisdom doesn't see something else. Wisdom only sees wisdom. And it is so powerful and so it's so without uh, a center and so without solidity that it, it can function as if it's solid as a rock. It can function as a double-edged sword. It, it can function in any way because it's no longer limited to some individual who can win or lose. Winning and losing is very low level of understanding. It's called relative truth. Ultimate understanding transcends all of that. You live uh, in a dimension that is not confined by physical reality or spiritual reality. Or does the path to wisdom lead to uh, or go through stages of understanding? I guess, even though yes, can. But it's not really so much stages of understanding. It's seeing how dense everything is seeing how you can't really be somebody else, how you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps into some kind of higher understanding relative to your lower confusion, that uh, wisdom is in the confusion. That's why it's necessary to sit down, hold still, have the support of Sangha, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and Sangha, have the support of a teacher, if you have one, have the support of the teaching, which is everything is dependently arisen, and that... Uh, that you can actually understand this yourself. You can do that. It is, it is a transcendental do-it-yourself project. You just might need a kick in the butt. And you might need more than one kick. But uh, if any someone, someone who shows up as a teacher, if they have an agenda other than helping you fundamentally, if they have some kind of control agenda, walk. A lot of people have teachers that are, that, that, I'm not saying the teacher maybe originally didn't start out to help people, but sometimes they get confused about their own power. They get maybe misunderstand the devotion of the students and they, they're human beings. So maybe they can abuse the situation. It doesn't happen all the time. It happens uh, every now and then. So wisdom sees wisdom, but first it has to look at the confusion. The Buddha, when he awoke, if I may say it this way, and I've said it this way before, when the Buddha awoke, he saw confusion. He saw delusion. He saw the complete whole negative, uh, what is it, can of worms, nothing against worms. He saw the whole thing. And that, see, because he, he did not miss a, a single uh, square mile of it. He saw the whole thing. That awakening was was enlightenment. So it's that's why enlightenment is not different, not separate from confusion. So you could actually sit down and look at your own confusion. And if you see it clearly, that's awakening. It's not two things. It's not something else. There's nothing to abandon. You don't have to. Um, I haven't done it yet, but I'm one of these days I'll probably give a talk. And as soon as I say this, and she's going to say, well, you've given that talk. <laughs> I guess I've given a few give a talk by the title of uh, Don't Improve. Are you giving that talk? All right. <laughs> don't improve. And this doesn't mean you don't look at the distress you're in or the difficulty, but if you abandon what is happening, the, the, the texture, the density of the confusion, 
for trying to improve, we tend to cover this up and then put some kind of patina or covering over it that makes the ego mind will say, yeah, you're doing better. Look, uh, your things are getting better and better and better. And you're more improving. You're, you're less uh, argumentative with people and you're, you know, we'll keep tallying it up. Not that you sitting down and holding still for a day after day after day, you probably are going to be more receptive to what other people are doing and less meddlesome in their uh, situation. But if it turns into a credential, this is spiritual materialism. So that's a very, uh, very difficult area. Somebody quite often, if it's actually, you're actually doing that out of uh, your, out of your um, uh, consciousness itself, then you might not notice anything happening. You might feel like crap. You might feel not so good, but people are, who are close to you around you might even comment, say, you, you know, you seem to be, you seem to be doing better. I don't notice you're having too hard of a time like you were uh, a couple months ago. So they might notice that, but you might not even take it as a compliment. You might say, oh, that's interesting. But you wouldn't necessarily agree or disagree. It can show up lots of different ways, but it's not about improvement. It's about co uh, comparing. Now, this I used to be, uh, used to be this way, now I'm this way. I like to say, I used to be different, now I'm the same. <laughs> Questions, if you have them? Joy. Um, you say frequently to look at contrast. So how does that relate to um, looking at the confusion? So the, the contrast can show up in terms of the confusion, and it can show up in terms of that and an observer quality of the confusion. And and then so the contrast, and, and there's no... There's no result we're looking for there. Uh, we're just looking at what this is. So the result quality, which most kind of materialistic approaches are about, well, we need to do something. We, we need to get somewhere. Well, there's no proof of this. So tend to go into some kind of analysis around it rather than just have a willingness to just not know. Wisdom and not knowing are not two different things. It is so simple. And this is why it is so difficult to teach and why it takes you know, a lifetime it takes a lot because it's so simple we keep we might even say to ourselves well it can't be that easy do not conclude if you're going to do any kind of cluding then include that's a good clue <laughs> you know otherwise you don't have a clue <laughs> sorry <laughs> silly humor but the idea is to whatever's happening rather than immediately go to war with it or fight it or accept it and value it and fluff it up, uh, just include it. And the way you include it is just, just uh, let it sit there. Just, you're just, it, it can be a chair sitting across the room. Just include it. Don't dismiss it. Don't add anything to it. Don't elaborate on it at all. So that if you do nothing with something because of the very nature of uh, impermanence, it won't last. So the only way things stabilize and stay fixed like opinions and judgments and, and uh, uh, emotional dynamics that have kind of turned to ice, those kind of things, is, uh, is because we're doing something with it. We're holding it down. We're adding a bunch of uh, things to it. So it appears to be kind of solid and bothersome. But if we don't do anything with it, it tends to crinkle and wind up in the wind and blow away. No guarantees about that, though. So if you're looking for results, probably won't get any. Yes? When you say to look at it, um, 
it often morphs. Yes, it does. Into anger or boredom or sounds know, good. Same so. old, same old. Yeah. Um, you mentioned at one point something about textures. Yeah. Can you say more about textures? So you're looking at, uh, you're sitting and you're, uh, this uh, is especially true when training your mind, looking at the wall or doing a sitting meditation, shikantaza, hold still and watch what moves. And when any kind of negative negativity comes up, rather than add something to it, like, I don't like that, it's easy to do, or here we go again. I got to think about that. I wish I could forget about that. And anything, it could be a something simple like, uh, you know, uh, a song that keeps going through your head. Don't object to those things. Don't don't try to don't try to be somebody else. Live your life. Live your life on the cushion. Live your life when you get up. Be genuine. Be the negativity you're trying to get rid of. Which if you if you do that, you'll actually find that you you reach out less. You're not trying to get rid of the negativity anymore because you're aware of the negativity. You feel the texture of the negativity. You're making friends with the negativity. You can't make friends with anybody if you're if you're not. What's the fancy word? Owning your own negativity. You don't ever have to get rid of negativity. Just, just don't ignore it. So the texture may show up almost like a feeling thing that you can't, uh, like the texture of carpeting. You know, the very nature, the very quality of texture means there's space around it. You can't have. I mean, linoleum doesn't have much space, space so it's smooth. But a carpeting has some space, so it creates some kind of personality to it. Your emotions, your feelings, your thoughts are like that. You can find the texture of thoughts, the texture of ideas, and just about observing that and watching that come and go uh, rather than coming to a conclusion about it, which blocks out the very experience of that, which uh, uh, is, is not beyond feeling, but it's beyond the conceptual area. It tends to, uh, it tends to um, not get rid of concepts, but it kind of puts the conceptual mind in its place. Like It's like it sits over here and you say, when I, when I need you, I'll call you. But in the meantime, just have a backseat and you should lead with your awareness to see what's happening. More? Sometimes it's hard to move into texture. That's, that's awareness. Mm-hmm. You don't have to succeed in anything. If you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're able to say it that way, you're doing it. There's always going to be tension. Uh, until there's not. And when there's no tension, there won't be any texture. It won't be anything. It won't be anything but this. Uh, you actually don't see different things at the same time. You see everything, the boundary between things, extremely clearly. The boundary is, is so clear that you feel like you don't know anything. And the ego is kind of, if it's hanging around, it's, it's trying to get a, it wants to participate, but it's, uh, you know, it's just a shimmer up. It's just a, a ghost. Go ahead. You bring it into the sky. In other words, you know, you bring it into your body, yeah. you bring it into your vision, bring it into your hearing. Everything. You're trying to explore those. You could. Yes, you. Yeah, use those forms. Uh, you're sitting. You could do it somewhat in post meditation, but the sitting practice is where the where the blade gets sharper. And it's an invisible blade, and it's an invisible stone, but it's just about hold still and watch what moves, and that's what gets sharper. The, the observer quality. And eventually the observer uh, and what is being observed, uh, the boundary between those collapses. And it might do it fast and it might do it in increments, but there is no observer and there's nothing being observed. There's just perception. Just a way of talking about it, just more concepts. And if it uh, doesn't make any sense, then good. 
very hard, very hard to make sense out of this without going into some kind of psychology where we're getting better, going through some kind of therapy. I'm not against therapy. I'm all for therapy. I'm all for psychiatrists. I'm all for it. I'm all for, I'm for, I'm all for, I'm all for everything. But I'm saying um, you may want to actually find out who you are yourself. You might need the support of a teacher. I'm not a therapist. I'm just kind of a pushy person. <laughs> Tigers, no. Yes. So you're from Chicago, so you think they're bothersome, so and then trying to improve. Um, bothersome to me is chronic pain in my body. Yeah. And I've worked with pain, I don't know what you're speaking of. Yeah. So, yeah, chronic pain is, um, you know, it's easy for me to sit over here and say, well, go ahead and feel bad or something like that. But I think, I think there are causes and conditions that arise as at any given thing. Uh, I would take anything for granted. And this is, this is, I'm not saying you shouldn't trust your doctor or the people who are supposed to know stuff. Um, but, you know, you could look closely at that. You could use it as a, as a, as part of your, med- are you a meditator? Yeah. And I guess that's how, how, how it's a good way to use that. I mean, besides like, well, you know, I understand the idea, like, well, who's this happening to? Yeah. Uh, I think I think that's a good one, but don't I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, badger myself with it. You know, you could do it a little bit, but if you're uh, if you're having a lot of chronic pain, uh, you know, it's uh, be hard for me to say. I would say, to, but uh, I would I wouldn't say tr- trust anything or buy into anything, but just continue to investigate and see what that's about, rather than conclude something about it. There's plenty of people around that we pay to conclude things, so. I think less is better in that area. This doesn't mean ignore or not not go to the doctor or anything like that. Could, could you, uh, I know this would be personal, but can you say what that pain is? Well, okay, so um, migraine headaches. So what I was thinking is like, um, okay, so today I'm labeling myself as a person that has a migraine headache. I'm not saying today as a today. Yeah, I understand. And then another day I'm labeling myself as, oh, I, you know, I'm a person that doesn't have a headache. I feel great. I can feel yeah. it. And then I'm back to, mm-hmm. oh, my person with migraine headache in bed, you know. Yeah. You don't want migraine headache, so I didn't put you in bed. Yeah. <laughs> I said you're having. I've not had migraines, but uh, my wife has also, maybe a few other people here, oh. but they're, the way it looks, they're horrible. Yeah, not right. Yeah. And, I mean, it does make me sit still. <laughs> I would imagine it would. <laughs> so there's the upside. There's an upside. Uh, I don't know. That's uh, I think the way you're describing it. I say uh, the only thing I would uh, recommend is more time. No matter how you're feeling, migraine or in between the migraines or whatever, more time. Sit down, hold still, and as much as you can, just wa- watch what moves. Eyes open. Look at the wall. Look at the carpeting. The wall is easier because then you're you're not going like this. Sit in front of a wall. If it's claustrophobic, sit back a little further. Just uh, not. And then uh, when you. And when you look at that, just uh, train yourself to receive. And, uh, you know, easy for me to say, receive the migraine. But there, I think there's something to that. Uh, quite often when you have extreme pain, and I've not had migraines, but I've had other forms of extreme pain. Very hard not to just try to stuff it and get rid of it. But that's also where it's practice. When we're human beings. We have nerve endings where they're bound to get abraded or 
tortured at some level just by being alive for a while. So uh, if you can, do you sit every day? More, more. And, and just schedule it. Just put it on. A, I, I tell everybody about the same thing. Write it on a post-it note or on an index card. Stick it around a couple of places in your house for you. For, that's if you feel inspired to sit more. If you don't, then don't do any of that. Just don't sit more. But if you want to sit more, one of the ways is to, to address it through the conceptual area is, uh, by saying, I sit every day from, nine, uh, from 7 in the morning till 8 o'clock. And then you've got that in your face all the time. And then the next thing you'll either do it or you'll rip it up. Or, or you'll turn it over or you cross it out and you'll say no from nine to 10, whatever. But it's a way of uh, using the concepts to help you train that aspect of your mind that is not particularly conceptual. I sometimes say it this way. Most of the world is leading with their thought process, ideas, opinions, judgments, evaluations. Some people are really good at that. And when we listen to them, make a lot of sense, but quite often uh, the, the awareness, the bare attention of the situation has been relegated to the back of the bus and we're just thinking about everything. And, so, and when you need your awareness, because the thought process is so paranoid, uh, it doesn't want, it's too risky to have the awareness come up. Whereas if you're training yourself to prioritize the awareness by saying, just observe, just observe, then the thought process may scooch around looking for some kind of an opening but if you do enough of it, eventually you just get up off the cushion and you lead with your with your your ability to receive, to give everything your attention. Everything gets the benefit of the doubt. Uh, and and, and if, if your thought process is if you need it, it's going to be, you know, uh, three seats until the left. It's going to be there somewhere and it'll be up there quicker than you can say. What is it? Jack Rabbit? No, it's, well, <laughs> one of those things. And it'll be there to help you when you need to think about it. But most of the time, we're we're replacing the very wisdom mind that is that's totally a present for all of us. More, more. Anything else? Okay. Any other questions? Yes, Doug. If you get to that point where you see things clearly and the boundaries fall away and the awakening experience. Do you continue to meditate? That's so why. The way uh, it's been told to me, and I didn't actually understand it uh, for a long time, but uh, meditation is kind of an artificial thing that you do. We're all confused with our karma, our upbringing, how we were taught, what we're told, and we're, you know, and we try to figure out how to make that work. Some of us are better at it than others. It's called having good karma or whatever you want to call it. I don't really know what it is, but some people just seem to get along and have no interest in doing this at all. So we call this, uh, if you're in this room, then uh, you are what I would say a Buddhist teaching called free and well-favored. You're free to come here. You did. You're not threatened by this. You're well-favored in there. Uh, if you've never been here before, you're open-minded enough to at least listen, see what it's about, and so on. So what was your question? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, there, there's there's a way of talking about it that may may sound uh, uh, may make sense may not, but if you if you meditate, this is sharpening the blade of awareness. And then when you get up off the cushion, you do this, do that. You you mow the lawn and you talk to the neighbors and you discuss things with your your with your wife or with your family and so on. And you just function. 
And so you're slowly building up that that bleed of awareness that's so that you begin to see more clearly your everyday post-meditation experience more clearly. At some point, I don't know if it's an actual point because it, it doesn't, it doesn't hold up under the uh, concept of it being a point, but something occurs, or but there's no there's no t- marker in time for it, and the boundary between the awareness practice and and the post meditation or your everyday life that boundary just goes away, and so you're always you're always aware. So you may sit, you may not. It doesn't sitting meditation and talking to somebody or they're not two different things anymore. But it's not, a, not so much an accomplishment. It doesn't. You don't feel like you've gotten anything. Uh, if anything, you've lost something. And what if, what if you lost? You you've lost your belief uh, in a separate self. Separate. You're not separate. You're still a physical being, and you have some allegiance to it, of course. But it's not like it was. It's not this protective, paranoid kind of thing of worrying about dying or worrying about being uh, disrespected or. It's kind of gone. So there's a willingness to uh, more of a willingness to be wrong, you know, be be corrected, be and receive whatever's happening. Uh, and that's happens unless you're a teacher, in which case, if you're a Dharma teacher, then you could show up as anything because you're you're working with the with the whatever shows up in front of you, meaning your students. So when somebody comes in and talks to me, I'm, I'm them. I'm not some not some kind of magical thing. But I can see them. I can see what they're doing. And if they've given me permission to help them, I'm going to help them. And that might mean hitting hitting them with a, a ball bat. I mean that figuratively. I rarely pick up a ball bat. I might hit them with something else. I might, I might, I might go after them if I have permission. If I don't have permission, I'm not going to do that with anyone. But more about that is a good question. So you may meditate, you may not, but the boundary between the two is not there. And one is always, I'm not going to go to the fancy word, one is always in samadhi. That's kind of baloney. But it's just you're not separate from anything. So therefore, if things are dancing, you're dancing. If things slow down, you slow down. And if, if somebody is somebody's a student, and they come to you and, and they're confused and they want your help, uh, you help them, you meet them where they're at. And that, that could show up uh, by just listening to them. And it can also show up as uh, um, insulting them. I have a there's a one of, one of the books by my teacher, Cutting or No uh, Myth of Freedom. I think the chapter in there on the, the guru or the teacher is the function of the teacher is to insult you. Why wouldn't it be? I mean, if the if the, if the student really wants to understand, and the teacher is someone who has uh, understanding, then that may show up, but it may show up not as an insult. It may show up lots of different ways. It might just show up as a, you need to stop doing that, or you need to do that. You need to do this. You should do this. You should do that. But without, but the same person that's receiving that could say, I don't want you to be my teacher anymore. And the teacher um, might feel very sad at, at that student going another way. But the, the student, well, the teacher would say, very good. Good luck to you. I hope you do well. There's no, there's no manipulation. You have to have permission. More about that. Question. Answer. If someone realized or saw what this was, and if things are dependently arisen, 
And there's been deep conditioning in that one to behave or think in a certain way. That necessarily drop is something that's relatively looks like it's causing harm. Give me an example. Um, I don't, I mean, this would be a silly one, but obvious your reactivity would be, oh, let's just say flipping somebody off when you're driving. That's not (laughs) And you see, well, they, maybe they were in a hurry or who knows what this, what the thing is, but just something that's just a regular habit. And if it may cause harm, there's deep conditioning to do that. But And if someone saw this, would that just drop? Not necessarily. And my way of saying this, when those kind of question, uh, questions come up, is nothing changes. If you think something's going to change, then that's a misunderstanding. Nothing happens. Nothing changes. You have to see it. And you have to be genuine. You can't just suddenly not be a person who flips people off. Very difficult. When I say it's difficult, because the ego mind wants to attain enlightenment with the wisdom mind. And the very nature of wisdom is the death of ego. It's not really the death, actually. It's just seeing that ego is unreal. So therefore, ego can hang around and it might flip somebody off and it might not. So, But if, if there's a second thought about it, like I shouldn't do that, probably got some work to do. That per- person probably needed flipping off. <laughs> and what am I saying? I'm just saying that you, you can't figure out. And if you try to figure things out, it just gets very circular. It gets, it gets very difficult. And not that you shouldn't try to be kind to people and not be mean to people, of course. But I wouldn't make a big project out of it because quite often it gets to be something where you want to be seen as someone who helps rather than actually you fundamentally help people truthfully, you, you might not get uh, any credit or accolades for it because probably one of the best ways you can help somebody, especially somebody you're really close to intimately, don't meddle with them, give them no advice. You know, starting with your mate or your spouse or your mom or your dad or somebody really close. Don't. And children, this is a very difficult area those of you who had difficulty in childhood uh, would know about this, but you really need to respect. These people are not just immature. Sometimes there's more maturity happening there in a child than there is in, the, in their parent. Really, really need to respect them and, and let them have their confusion and give them a chance to you know, keep them away from broken glass. That protects them. Make sure they have food to eat, not just Pop-Tarts. But, you know, and you know, work with them that way, but support them and, and encourage them to um, find out who they are and not just buy into your opinions about stuff. Well, I'm just thinking something that Tolly totally said that you can't spark. Uh, he said that you can't be good at trying to be good at, rather by allowing goodness that's already within you to emerge. Um, you buy into that? Is that no. Right? That's too fancy. Eckhart Tolle is very fancy. That's why he's a millionaire. Yes, as you know, oh. he's worth millions. Because he's very, very good at selling himself. I'm terrible at it. 
He is. He's very buys into a kind of materialism. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying he doesn't have he isn't awake or he doesn't have a lot of awakening in him that he doesn't benefit a lot of people. Of course he does. But it's this is not about feeling good. It's that he is he is not a Buddhist. He's not these are not the teachings of the Buddha. They're very much uh, about the wisdom mind. They're very much just like Adyashanti and all the other Muji and all the other teachers out there in the hinterland called the internet. So they're all they're all doing, and there's certain people, there are people that don't want to hear what I have to say about this. I'm fine with that. There are people that really need to talk to Eckhart Tolle or, or other teachers. They should. But, you know, some people, people are different. There's a different kind of chemistry going on. You either have a connection with somebody or you don't. And you have a connection with him. And so, good. You should, you should read what he's saying and be inspired by it. But the nuts and bolts part, as I said earlier when we talked about it, Eckhart Tolle is actually telling people to do things, something he didn't do. He actually was a spontaneous realizer, got really distressed, and really was on the verge of ending his life and suddenly had a transformation come out of uh, who knows what the causes or conditions were about, where he suddenly understood his, his self-centeredness dropped. He was no longer suffering. And I, as the story goes, what you probably know more than I do about it, he sat on a bench for a couple of months trying to figure out what to do with himself. And then he decided to start uh, um, talking to people about the way in which he manifests the, his uh, understanding. And he's really, he's extremely charismatic and very cute. People are very, those of you who are familiar with Toa, Toa, it's very sweet and very magnetizing. But try to get an interview with him. Try to sit and ask him questions like, he has hundreds of thousands of followers and people. And so he's, he's a, he's a, and this isn't to be dismissive of him because some people wouldn't have a spiritual path without him. But he magnetizes them. But he's kind of a cheerleader for enlightenment. It's probably as clear. But he, he was not trained, so therefore he doesn't know how to train people. He can't just say, get really depressed, feel like crap, get this close to killing yourself, and then don't do it, but see reality. What is he going to say? He didn't have anything, any say-so about that at all. Whereas someone who has worked at this for a long time understands what how this could be done and how you could actually teach others if they're, if they're interested. But there's no particular sales pitch. So it might sound like I'm being critical of him, and I'm not being critical in the sense that I'm just saying he's not a Buddhist. He's not teaching what is taught here. He is teaching this understanding, but it came out of his karma. Who knows what his last life, lifetime is like? Uh, and he probably can't remember any of it, or maybe he can. But some, he, he did a lot of work somewhere else, or probably uh, that would not have occurred, just like Byron Katie and other spontaneous realizations. So is there a light or guide inside you, according to Buddha, that you're trying to seek? That's no. You're the very persons, the words I'm hearing, this is the Buddha speaking. You just don't know it. Realize it. Or, or not. Or go do something else. Play ice like hockey. You know what I mean. I'm not being disrespectful to you. I'm, I'm, I'm Actually, I'm saying do whatever you think you should do. There's no, there's no promotion of this. On the other hand, if, if you want help, uh, I would help you. As I said earlier, it's up to you. It's, it takes a lot of work. And that kind of work is, it just seems like it's a little bit different for, for everyone. Warren? 
that. <laughs> what about love? I like love. I, mean, I love you. Does it tie into like? Uh, I don't usually use ropes. Do you aspire for that? I mean, is it? So you don't need to uh, love. There isn't anything but love. You want to get syrupy about it. There isn't it, but it's not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. That's more about passion and grasping and wanting to control something. A low level of it. Actual love is total liberation. It's more like a mother's love. Unless they get territorial about what's happening with their child and think their child should do something else rather than setting a house on fire. <laughs> So it's it's a it's a, it's not even an acceptance. It's just a just a, an opening that doesn't that doesn't have an agenda about it. The Christian tradition calls it agape. Uh, the Buddhist tradition is karuna, but there's no no one doing it. If anyone doing it, then it's a lower level of might be very loving and caring and considerate, but it still has a strong relative component to it, which can. Stop. Or no, I was kind of thinking about the identity, like as you talk about ego a lot. I do. Um, how do you identity? You don't have to get rid of something that is unreal. You don't. My ego is right here. It's just, it's just as intense as it was. Um, so I'm 78, so as it was uh, 75 years ago, just as, as it was when I was 14 or 18, it's still here. It just doesn't get any say-so. It's like it's I don't believe it. I don't believe the, the thoughts that arise. Hope and fear may come up, probably not as much as it did back then. But when it does, it's just, it's just unreal. It's unreal. So it doesn't get a it doesn't get a hearing, but it also does. I don't close it off either and try to be better than that person. That person is still functions here. If it, you know, if it didn't, if I was kind of better than everybody and kind of more enlightened than everybody, you know, kind of a uppity, you know, it'd be very difficult for me to work with people where they're at because people don't people don't come with the simple issues and problems they come with all kinds of things and so in order for me to be able to relate to that uh, I have to have related to what's happened in my life and with the people I've met or been with not about getting rid of anything it's unreal not, it's not that it's not there it's like a, a stage play or it's like a, a scary movie we just watch it we're eating popcorn and it's scary and you know even though it's unreal you, know, you might not be able to really look at it the whole time. You might have to turn away. And it's a little embarrassing to watch The Shining, you know, and be frightened by it because it's unreal. So you don't want people around you. So you say, I think I'm going to go to get some more popcorn in the kitchen. And actually, you don't really want to watch that scene. How do I know? I do it. That's all I know. Are we at the end of our sojourn? Okay. Final question if you have one. Uh, it's hard to know how it occurs, but uh, 
with the, there's not a lot of people that we're not on record anyway, but uh, Ramana Maharshi, uh, I mentioned earlier, seemed to be one of them who was 18. And of course he was, he was born into India, which is a, a strong spiritual component in India. I mean, it's, it's, if you're a, a, a mendicant or a holy person or a wanderer, you know, you get supported. I don't know how strong it is these days, but if you're, if you're doing that, then people want to help you and support you. They'll feed you, take care of you. So he awoke when he was 18 and he didn't, he didn't, if, he had, if that had happened in this society, he might've been uh, taken to a mental hospital and he might've been medicated so he wouldn't feel that way. But instead he had a, a society that supported what, what he was going through as a young man. And he, uh, he left instead of going to college, he left and went uh, to Turbanamalai, uh, Arunachala in, uh, in Southern India and went into a cave and stayed there for 20 years. And people knew about him in there, and they, they brought him food so that he could uh, deepen his understanding. So that, uh, Byron Katie, have you heard of her? Yeah, so Byron Katie is another spontaneous realizer. She was not meditating. Uh, she was going through rehab of some kind, and a cockroach crawled over her leg, and, she, and her personal identity dropped. She couldn't even think of the name of things anymore. So the, an aspect of her mind just... Uh, um, uh, lost its position. And so, um, uh, as the story goes, if you read, um, I'm trying to think of an early book by her. I've read a lot of her books in the past. Um, huh? Yes, uh, Losing the Moon. So it's, like, it's like Losing the Moon was her a book that talks about that. I don't think, I think it's out of print now. But anyway, she, uh, she went home to Barstow, California. And, uh, and then and she, one of the things she would say to people, and this is early on, why are you acting like you don't love me? What do you say to somebody who comes up and says that to you? Why are you acting like you don't love me? So she was big on hugging people. And it took her about, uh, I don't know, it might be off in the t- years, but 14, 15 years to f- understand how she could possibly give people some kind of way, just like Eckhart Tolle says, meditate. She didn't say meditate. She actually has a, th- a formula that she says, uh, ask four questions and turn it around, which is, are you familiar with that? Yeah. So this is a way of working through the intellect to actually reach the heart. So meditation is a way of using the intellect, but uh, reaching the heart through sitting meditation. And so uh, it's pretty powerful. I've, I've worked with the... Um, I've taught meditation at the same time. That's being taught at the same time with other with one of her close students many years ago. I haven't done it recently. Spontaneous realizer who woke up in our society and uh, apparently they didn't keep her locked up. So, anybody here met her? Did you? Yeah. Well, you know what I'm talking about. Then. Well, I think she she kind of yeah. Huh? I I, uh, I was lucky to uh, see a lot of different spiritual teachers. Yeah, there, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. There's a lot of them there. Have you, yes. have you seen uh, Eckhart Tolle? I have. Have you seen about Ajit? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I saw him at Naropa in 1974. Ram Das, when he was there uh, preaching the Dharma. <laughs> Ajashanti. Yes. You've seen him also. There's, a, there's another person who practiced for 30 years, and then his teacher said, Go teach. Yeah. 
that cornfield. So, are you are you a teacher? No, I'm not. Mm -hmm. uh, I talked to somebody, asked my question about pain. Yeah. So, my mind was separate tools, you know, his pain body. Yes. That way, and how close and, but, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I just moved back to the shoes. That's nice back here. <laughs> your family here. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. How the last time I was there was. was it's nice here, is it? It's nice here. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. So another thing about pain, just to go back, if I were talking to somebody individually in an interview, I might work with that differently, but it's too public here to do that. So uh, may not, not, maybe not. Are you still seeing people? Pardon me? Are you still taking appointments individually? Yeah, I always do that. I do it as long as there's people who want to do that. Absolutely. We'll have a couple but Justin's going to have an interview and Angel. if Joanne we have one other and then she could go I'd be fine Mike do you need to talk to me before I go back to uh, it's not fine. okay that's good so keep in touch with me oh. okay is that it all right thank you just a quick, couple quick announcements. Um, the book that we read in the beginning, the meditation instruction, that was one of the talks that we transcribed um, some of Sokazan's guided meditations to make this book a meditation primer. So we have extra copies available. They're 15 bucks a piece. And if you want one, you can, you can give the money to O'Neill. Um, also, um, the U, since we were going to have a bigger group today that was bigger than our classroom would permit, the UU is kind enough to let us use their sanctuary tonight. So we're going to put out two baskets. One is our normal collection can that we um, uh, take donations to cover our expenses, but we're going to donate it to Sokazan. And then we said we'd put a basket out for the UU. So no obligation, but if you can help us, we'd appreciate that. Thank you. So we'll stand and dedicate the merit, and that's in the back of the chant book. Buddhist community and the places we practice, our families, friends, and all beings. 
Heal everyone who was unhappy, sick, or suffering, and fill them with light. 